Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan and the family. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, Happy New everyone. Year, 2022. Yeah, New Year, and we're ready to go through the Word of God. We're going to finish the Bible this year. What do you guys think? That yes. sounds awesome. Yes. Do it. And we're going to wrap up the book of Acts right here in this Bible study today. So I hope you guys got your Bible and your family with you, and I hope you're ready to go into the Word of God. You guys ready? We're ready. Amen. All right. We're starting off in chapter 20. So here we go. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. And then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. All right, it's going to tell us the names of his friends here, guys. Wait till you get a load of some of these crazy names. You ready? They were Sopter, son of Phaeus from Berea, Articus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby. Timothy, Thychus, and Tropus from the province of Asia. What do you guys think? Did I murder those names or what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. We can live with it, right, guys? From the province of Asia. All we know are these are all of his friends, right? That's all that matters. That's right. They went on ahead and waited for us at Taurus. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia and five days later joined them in Taurus, where we stayed a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Is that what you guys feel like when I do these Bible studies? Yes. (laughs) The upstairs room where we meet was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man, listen to this, guys, a young man named Ithacus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. And finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. You guys believe that? Who did it? A, A little boy that was at the place listening to Paul preach. He fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. Do you think that's God telling us not to fall asleep in church? <laughs> I don't think so. But listen, listen what happens. Though. Listen what happens. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs and shared in the Lord's Supper and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. So isn't that amazing? He fell out of the window and died, but then Paul went down and picked him up and prayed for him, and God healed him. So if you do fall asleep in church and God kills you, he can bring you back to life. (laughs) Paul went, (laughs) let's continue in verse 13. Paul went by land to Eros, where he arranged for us to join him. While we traveled by ship, he joined us there and we sailed together to Midland. That's not Midland. It's Midland. The next day we sailed past the island of Kos. The following day we crossed to the island of Samos. And the day later we arrived at Miletus. I can't wait to get out of this book, guys. We're going to have to get to Romans where... (laughs) That's some crazy words. We're not reading all these names. 
Paul had decided to sail on to Emphasis, and he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed in Miletus, we sent a messenger to the elders of the church at Emphasis, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came with me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for the Jews and the Greek alike, the necessity of repenting from your sins and turning to God, and of having faith in the Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I have left, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and many tears for you. And now I assure you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted another silver or gold or fine clothes. I know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need while working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt down and prayed with them, and all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. All right, guys, we're ready for the next chapter. Chapter 21. Verse number 1. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Pantra. There we boarded a ship for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore and found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyra was Potamaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters that had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over and took Paul's belt and bound his feet and his hands with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, 
We and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that awesome, guys? He's willing to die for the sake of Lord Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, we got to be willing to die. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasson, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God, and then they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are telling all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or to follow the other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vows. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows should end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the providence of Asia saw Paul in the temple and aroused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles the holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Tropolis, a Gentile from Emphasis, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. So they were beating him, guys. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him on their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Can you guys believe this is how they treated preachers back then? Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, they were trying to kill him, dude. They were throwing him in jail, beating him, trying to kill him. Mm -mm, nobody can touch daddy. All because he was preaching about Jesus. All right, well, let's keep going. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned for the people to be quiet. 
Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language in Aramaic. Chapter 22 Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, the city of Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Galileo. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priests and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light and didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. That's what we need to tell everybody in the world today, right? What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Yeah, Saul, you got baptized this past year. Victor's next, right? That's right. What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Come on, get up and get baptized. (laughs) Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. That's powerful, guys. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they began to shout, Away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. They yelled and threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul aside and ordered him lashed with a whip to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. And Paul answered, But I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen. The commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into the synagogue with the Jewish high council. They wanted to find out what the trouble was all about. So they released Paul to have him stand before them. Next chapter, guys, chapter 23. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him in the mouth. But Paul said to him, 
God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. You believe Paul said that about the high priest, guys? He said he was a corrupt hypocrite. He didn't realize who he was, though. You're not allowed to talk to the high priest like that, are you? Right. So Paul, realizing that some of the members of the high councils were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, he shouted out, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council and the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits. But the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress that night the lord appeared to paul and said be encouraged paul just as you've been a witness to me here in jerusalem you must preach the good news in rome as well the next morning a group of jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed paul isn't that crazy guys they're trying to kill him so bad just because he was preaching about jesus Yeah, but just like all the Jews are trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. So they made a vow not to eat or drink until they killed him. That means means they're not going to eat any food or drink any water until they kill him. Isn't that crazy? That's how much they wanted him dead. They're Christians and their other person is a priest who preached about God. That goes to show you, man, that just not all Christians and priests live for God, right? There were more than 40 of them in their conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and the elders and told them, We have bound ourselves in an oath not to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully, and we will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul, Paul called one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand and led him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some of the Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. And they are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know that you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor from Claudius Lysias to His Excellence Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to the high council to try and learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charges were something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipyrus. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to the governor Felix. 
He read it and then asked Paul what providence he was from. Siliconica, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Chapter 24 Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer, Tertullus, to present their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. You have provided a long period of peace for us Jews, and with foresight have enacted forums for us. For all of this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you. But I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of a cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. When the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything that he was saying was true. The governor then motioned for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I'm glad to present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things that they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way which is called a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors. I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with the money to aid my people and offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of. Except for the one time that I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Lysias, the governor and commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Dorsilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about the faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I will call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. After two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. So he's been there for two years now, guys, just because he decided to preach about Jesus. Would you guys go to jail for two years to preach about Jesus? Yes. Yep. I'd go there for five years. Yeah, boys. For that's 55 what I like to hear. years. Whoa. 50 million. Yeah, well, we love Jesus, so whatever it takes to get the message out, that's what God wants us to do, whatever it takes to get the message out. All right, chapter 25. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus for a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem planning to ambush him and kill him on the way. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea, and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, Those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea, 
And on the following day, he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish leaders or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is an official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well that I am not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die, but I am innocent. No one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. So now he's going to go talk to the king, guys, to Caesar. And he's going to get a chance to tell Caesar about Jesus. That's important. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister, Bernice, to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay for several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him and asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that the Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They must be given an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. When his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus. But he's not dead, is he, guys? No. Yeah, our God is alive and strong. And that's what, that's what Paul's trying to get them to understand right here who Paul insisted was alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. Well, Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor, so I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear this man myself, Agrippa said, and Festus replied, You will tomorrow. So they're going to bring him out. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great prompt, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. And in my opinion, he has done nothing deserving of death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charges against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. Chapter 26 then Agrippa said to Paul, You must speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from the earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strict sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? 
I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogue to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down around me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I ask? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness from their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, are you insane? Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane. Most excellent Festus, what I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. And King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both of you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So you guys see why it was so important that he appealed to Caesar? Because if he wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, he wouldn't be able to, to preach about Jesus to the kings, right? Yeah. So God kind of sent him to jail so that he could preach about Jesus to the kings and the rulers of the world. Wow. Isn't that important? God always has something that for just, you no yeah, matter where you are. Right, and it goes to show you, you never know where God's going to send you to reach somebody that he wants reached. We've got to be willing to go, right? Right. So let's continue in chapter 27, because Paul is getting ready to set sail for Rome. So let's hear about what happens on the sail to Rome. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners placed in custody of the Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was at Rimitim on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore and visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. 
Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the islands and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicily and Pompilia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found the Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Canidus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island. Past the Cape of Salomon, we struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens, near the town of Lesia. We had lost a lot of time, and the weather was becoming dangerous for the sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officer about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger of our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing in the south, the sailors thought that it could make it. So they pulled up the anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and the wind of a typhoon strength called the Northeastern burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailor couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of the small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ships to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So we lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. That's just like Paul told them was going to happen, isn't it? He told them they were going to have storms and that they would get stuck and have to get rid of the cargo and all that, right? Yeah. It shows you how God tells us the future so that way we can be sure that he is real, right? Yeah, that's awesome. No one had eaten for a long time, and finally Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all the damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your life, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adarai, the sailors sensed land near so they dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found that it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four acres from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboats as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboats and let them drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. 
please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were all on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Then morning dawned. They didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get the shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and let them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast when the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump aboard first and make for land. The others held on to the planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Chapter 28, the final chapter in the book of Acts, guys. Yeah, we're finishing it, and then we're going to move on. Yeah, all right. Starting with verse number one. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was a cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. And the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. But when he had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief officer of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laid his hands on him and healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. When the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed across to Ramgun. A day later, a south wind began blowing. So the following day, we sailed the coast to Puddley. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us, at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private loggings, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I ask you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with these chains because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, We have had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. 
for the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors, through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, and he welcomed all who visited him boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. That's how it ends, guys. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We finished the book of Acts. Right. Yeah. After Acts. Book of Romans. Romans. Yeah. Good job, yeah. Saul. And we're going to get into that next. But before we go, let's lead everybody in prayer. How does that oh. sound? Yeah. Now we know how the church began. And what do you guys think were some of the most important parts of the book of Acts? Hmm. That no one tried to stop him when he kept teaching prayer. Well, that's important that God's on our side and he'll help us. But one of the biggest important things was what happened right in the beginning of the book. They let him preach to all the kings. No, that's good too. But remember what came in the upper room and filled them. The whole, I was going to say Ghost. the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the Holy Ghost, Wait, guys. That's the most important thing about the book of Acts, guys, is that God went all the way up to heaven and came back to earth so that he could give us the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Ghost. So that's they right. could do the same things that Jesus did. Paul did all the same things, didn't he? Yeah. He raised he people the from the sick. dead. He healed the sick. He even got bit by a snake and didn't die. Right. And then that's he preached God's message to everyone the same way Jesus did. Right. That's why they say if you get bitten by a poisonous snake, you won't die. Yep. It's yeah. all because of this is the power we get from the Holy Ghost. Right. So let's let's thank God today that we get to see how his church started and what we're supposed to do as his church. And let's pray that God will bless everybody who listens with us today. All right, guys? All right. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time today in your word, God, and allowing us to understand how you built your church and how you want us to continue the ways of your church, God, that we'll be the body of Christ on this earth, God, and that we'll perform the acts that he would have performed if he was still on this earth. But he don't have to because he has people like us. Thank you, God, for giving us the authority on this earth, Lord. Thank you for showing us your ways, God, and teaching us how to have a life more abundantly. Lord, that we will be blessed as we continue this work, Lord, and that you will let your church grow like it did in the early days, Lord, that everyone will come to know the power of the Holy Ghost here in this life, God. We worship you and praise you, and thank you for blessing us with this time and everybody say in jesus name amen amen thanks everybody for joining us we can't wait to crack into the book of romans with you all and until next time god bless you all right let's say goodbye everybody bye bye everybody peace